0: Welcome back, everyone, to another incredible Market Impact Insights episode. On this podcast, we've talked a lot about the continued innovation engine. It's been running hard, even during our challenging pandemic times. And one way of looking at that is through the volume of new products that are being introduced. I was looking at some statistics recently, really interesting, in 2020, Companies rolled out 7% more products than they did in 2019 and 19% more than in 2018. And that includes companies uh, that are less than $100 in revenue. In fact, they accounted for most of the new products being introduced three times as many as companies with more than $1 billion in annual revenue and five times more than the mid-market companies. So with all this new product innovation, that's really raised the bar and the need for effective product marketing has never been greater. And so we're going to explore today what really goes into effective product strategy, product marketing, execution, and we're going to be talking about that with a true expert, William Toll. Now, William is the product marketing leader at Acronis, and he's really the person that is connecting Acronis products with the community. William has more than 20 years of experience leading marketing, product marketing, and product management teams in cloud, hosting, IT infrastructure, software as a service, cloud security, and data protection services and solutions. William is very passionate about helping organizations, both large and small, directed in the channel, learn about and connect with solutions that will ensure their growth and success. His expertise spans marketing strategy, positioning and digital, social, event, channel, and search engine optimization marketing programs and teams. So William knows his stuff, and he's been doing this uh, for quite a while, and really excited to welcome William to the program and to talk more product marketing. William, welcome to Market Impact Insights.
1: Hey, thanks, Dan. So excited uh, for this conversation.
0: So you're obviously a guy that spent most of your career focused on product marketing in and around products i want to go back to the very beginning what originally influenced you to pursue such a products focused career path yeah so um ever since i was incredibly young um
1: I always studied catalogs, mail order catalogs or uh, marketing. And frankly, the commercials were my favorite part of television um, way back when. But, um, you know, uh, I studied marketing in college. Uh, I went to school in the UK and uh, when I returned, I moved to New York City and I began writing RFP responses for a system integrator. And when you think about um, a system integrator in New York with financial and healthcare and uh, other uh, government agencies and beyond, writing those RFPs are like articulating the value um, that all these different uh, products and solutions that come together in a project, uh, in IT project, um, comes together. So. I think that combined my love for technology and marketing and, you know, frankly, um, winning those uh, submissions, those RFP submissions, kind of built my um, competition um, aspect of my, of my career, right? And um, positioning those solutions that we put together in those RFP responses kind of jump started my career.
0: Yeah. So I think what I heard you say, William, is you really like to win, right? Yeah.
1: Winning is key. And um, winning is is definitely on both sides, right? So um, the ultimate win is when the client or the customer or the
0: partner um, feels a
1: win as well, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So thinking about your career and as you grew into uh, larger roles, what would have been some of the things that have accelerated your success career-wise, including maybe any mentors that you've had along the way? What's really made a difference?
1: Yeah, I think um, for me, um, and I I speak to a lot of people uh, and advise a lot of um, younger people getting out of school and and beyond. Um, For me, the the best advice uh, was, and I, I live to this today, Find your niche, right? Um, for me, it was B two B. For me, it was always technology infrastructure. Um, back in the day, it was web hosting, and then it was uh, infrastructure and cloud and SaaS and cybersecurity. Um, you know, finding that niche and staying in it um, really uh, enabled me to accelerate my career, um, develop that expertise, and um, having that very similar buyer on the other side um, enabled me to ha- take that focus um, and apply it in a, in a way that uh, would allow me to uh, compete and win, I guess.
0: Um, so, so it's really being very reflective in terms of where that, passion and maybe where some of that natural talent is and then just really cultivating that, right? When you talk about that niche, it's really about that sweet spot in terms of, um, you know, what really, uh, is the area you can best contribute.
1: Yeah. And, you know, um, I think way back to the beginning, uh, maybe during the, the dot-com era, I was working for one of the world's largest web hosting companies and we were really lucky. We, um, were able to access anyone who registered a dot-com domain name. Um, and uh, we were able to send that business a postcard. And that postcard very clearly said, look, you now have a domain name. You need a website Which you know, today that sounds logical, but trust me back in the late nineties, that was uh, not the norm. Um, Getting a website was still uh, difficult, expensive, and you know when you think about it, this is long before GoDaddy, right? Um, getting uh, small businesses uh, motivated to understand um, what we now take for granted—having uh, a web presence or having um, access to technologies like email—was um, something that had to be marketed heavily and had to be explained. Um, you know that uh, that was those were fun days back then and um, yeah just just fascinating to see how uh, different everything is today but you know that business has transformed to companies like Squarespace or Wix um, that have just made uh, getting a website uh, so easy um, and you know now There's so many great marketing tools um, that are integrated that makes it easy to start marketing that website and getting an audience, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, if only we all had the tools back then. Oh, how much more impact we could have made. That is so true. And I, I work with and talk with a lot of marketers and something that comes up all the time is how critical, compelling storytelling is in differentiating a product or a solution. Can you share a bit more about that?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, storytelling always starts with one thing, the audience. Um, You know, um, I meet a lot of marketers that get excited about the story, but miss the mark on the audience. Um, You know, I think uh, real successful people in product marketing are um, extremely passionate about understanding every aspect of their audience. Their pain points, their goals, their business model, how they operate, um, how the different users inside after the decision makers um, have made their uh, decision to go with you, um, how they're going to benefit from uh, a solution. So um, understanding those different audiences and working back, um, it's uh, it's the most important um, uh, aspect of building a great story. And I think understanding the competition is is important as well, right? Um, Studying every message, every ad, um, every, um, you know, uh, aspect of the competition and finding a way to differentiate and drive the value proposition Um, again, back to the audience, what's in it for them. And um, so, so important.
0: Yeah. And you're talking about audiences, William, and something that I've seen a lot is um, it it can be hard really driving that definition and focus down to distinct audience profiles. Sometimes there's a tendency to want to try to be all things to, to everybody and just go really, really general. But what happens is, right. Doesn't that just, really water down and just reduce the effectiveness of really, uh, getting any sort of response from that message.
1: Yeah. I mean, we live in an age where, uh, there's just too many messages, um, too many outlets. There's too many distractions during the day. Um, and you've got to be bold. Right. And, you know, um, I've, you know, coming back to your last question a little bit, um, I think, um, when you think about the organizations today, and um, that are able to jump out, jump off the page, jump off the screen, um, they are often um, startups, and, you know, they have less risk um, to be bold in their message. And um, that, uh, that sense is so important. And You know, when I think about my career, uh, I went from uh, startup to enterprise, startup to enterprise, startup to enterprise, um, and probably a few more. Um, And I think that approach gives you a great opportunity to experience both sides of the table. a startup gives you the freedom in messaging, the freedom to create a new category, the freedom to push the boundaries and, um, you know, disrupt uh, the legacy, disrupt the, uh, the status quo. Um, and um, I think some of the best um, messaging comes from uh, startups. Well, at the same time the enterprise and the enterprise buyer and many startups try to sell to the enterprise, you have a certain sensitivity to decisions that have been made um, by a larger group of buyers and a disruptive message um, does not always work. So we'll come back to um, my comment earlier about know your audience. Um, And um, I, I, I find it a lot of fun to look at, the way startups try to market to enterprises, and the way enterprises try to adopt a startup um, type message, um, and the the back and forth right now um, that we're all seeing is kind of fun. Um, yeah. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting dynamic there. And something else I've heard you talk about recently is the maturity gate. Can you explain a little bit more about what that means?
1: Yeah. So um, I think companies of all sizes in the B2B technology space um, are at different levels in their um, you know, modern marketing strategy, right? So there's 7,000 some odd um, marketing technologies on um, Chief Martech's marketing landscape, for example. And then there's the, aspect of actually having a team that can leverage, um, you know, a fraction of the categories uh, of the marketing stack um, that you need to to run an efficient and successful marketing operation. Um, You know, marketing is very much a science today. um, But the um, creative aspect um, is is critical and being able to tie those two together is is really complicated and you don't see it that often. Um, And I think that's because inside of many marketing organizations, you have individuals with diverse backgrounds and had diverse exposure to different techniques, different tactics, different strategies. And um, it's pretty cool when that diversity comes together, and they achieve something great right and when you know i I called it maturity gate um it's a little bit like um google stairs if if you're an seo you know that your results come in these these steps right and um certainly in a startup you have those steps right every startup i've Worked in you have these really dark days where it just seems like nothing can be done and you're not making any progress and you can't get your, your story through. And, you know, there's product issues and customer issues and there's dark days. And then there's this, Oh my God, days, look what we just did. Uh, you know, we had great coverage in the media with the analysts said, all the right things. Um, you know, we had a tremendous number of uh, new signups or, adoption, um, or usage, right? Because you you just get through these gates and it, it definitely comes in, in bunches, um, which, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of and to drive. Um, but you know, your job as a leader is to, to coach the team and push, but don't push too hard. Don't expect, um, you know, the steps to always go up. You do have these plateaus and sometimes you go backwards and you know, those learning points are just as important as those, those big, Oh my God days. Right.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of teams as a product marketing leader, you're obviously at the intersection of technical development oriented teams and then the customer facing sales and marketing teams. William, what have been some of the key ingredients that you've had to tap into in motivating your teams to build trust and making those cross-functional relationships that are so important work really well. Yeah. So, um, I
1: mean, we're on a theme here, so I could say audience again. Um, and in this case it's empathy, right? Um, the sales and marketing divide, um, is as big or as small as, a team's ability to empathize with each other. You know, both teams have uh, a similar outcome desire, um, likely revenue or usage or um, driving adoption, or, um, you know, moving the the ball forward. And understanding that sales team from a marketers perspective is job one, right? Understanding their knowledge, understanding their approach, understanding their capabilities, truly um, patterning out and partnering with sales on the, the buyer's journey. And um, you got to demonstrate uh, to the sales team that you're committed to getting them to the next level, to helping them achieve their goals and enabling them with the content, with the messaging, with the storytelling that they need for their individual um of prospects, right? Um, and, you know, we're in an age where a lot of knowledge can be uh, gained about each uh, group of prospects that you're targeting, whether it be an ABM method or even driving uh, demand gen and leads through digital motions that are going to get to sales, right? So, understanding how sales is going to handle them and helping them and enabling them with the stories and the tools they need to close those deals um, is key. And I think translating um, technical, functional um, features and the benefits of those features and the the outcomes for um, the, the buyers and helping salespeople truly understand those is when the winds really start coming. And when those winds start coming, there's a big trust between sales and marketing. And then there's this big hunger for more, right? Mm-hmm. More, 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 right? Like we did it, now let's repeat it. Um, and it works for a while. And then the technique um, is overused by your competition or the feature set or the competitive marketplace changes a little bit. But You know, that's where becoming open and being very transparent and listening, 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 right? Listening to sales, getting their feedback and understanding um, what's working and not working and having the agility to reply and and get right back to it is key.
0: Yeah, I think just over time, it's like muscle memory, Uh, you know, as the teams get to that higher level of trust, then just some of the behaviors, just you don't have to be as intentional about of talking about or or planning, it just kind of happens a bit more organically, right? And it just builds on that trust. Yep,
1: yep, absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. So something else that is talked quite a bit about uh, in the technology space is this idea of evangelism. Can you share some examples where you've seen good and deep evangelism have a real transformative impact? Yeah, I mean, um,
1: I My first true exposure to evangelism, beyond working a lot with Microsoft over the years, um, who's always had an amazing evangelism program, um, both a developer evangelist and a partner evangelist program, and then individual segments. But for me, it was um, in the early days of cloud computing. Um, you know, we're talking 2007, 8, 9, 10, when there was a very small group of people around the world from diverse backgrounds that were working at large companies or small companies, super passionate people that were communicating in what was then uh, social media, which was new, right? So primarily across Twitter, um, maybe a bit on LinkedIn, but mostly on on Twitter, um, there was a very solid group of people that were pushing the boundaries of what cloud computing is. Um, what it will be, what it could be. And those relationships that were born there um, showed up at conferences, at meetups, um, and very tight bonds were created among those people. Um, You know, I took that learning in um, a follow-on employment that that I was in at a, a startup that was creating a new category, So we were creating a category um, and there was a known super thought leader in that category, um, a person who worked at Google and who published a lot of books and gave a lot of talks. And I aligned our company to that individual through Twitter chats. So um, maybe some of your audience remembers uh, Twitter chats back in the early days. Um, This is where... Um, a set period of time would be allotted on a monthly basis or weekly basis where experts from around the world would join in a discussion uh, together with some thought leaders. And um, I was able to engineer a Twitter chat with a um, local thought leader um, in the space. And it was pretty awesome to have this large group of um, both large businesses, small businesses, and experts around the world interacting with our brand um, and our experts at the very same time. Um, and at, the, uh, at my next uh, employment, I was um, able to hire a cloud evangelist. Um, I hired someone who had been an HP employee for 20 years. Um, and I'll never forget his first day um, with me in the office, he said, so what is an evangelist and what do I do? And I thought, well, this is, this is great. Um, and I, have, you know, I always keep uh, one of those marketers decks, right? When I see something good, I take a screenshot, uh, I put it in yeah. a PowerPoint deck, I've got like 700 slides now. At the time, maybe I had four hundred, and I walked him through. And a lot of it was cloud computing. A lot of it was those early cloud evangelists. And I, you know, when I see something unique, I capture it, right? And um, we went through it. And I said, "Look, let's go through this. And I have two things that I really want you to be doing. And I want you to find things that you think you'll be passionate at, be good at, and and you can utilize those. And together, we'll." you know, build a measurement um, mechanism to see how we're doing and, and move forward. And sure enough, um, he started, and within three months, um, all of the those super cloud thought leaders knew who he, who he was. Um, all of them were talking about our company. Um, the media started writing about our company because these other super thought leaders were talking about us with... Um, with the evangelist that I hired and we started getting coverage, um, across all the big publications, um, all the editors. And, um, I'll never forget. I was at a conference and one of the big three, uh, analyst firms, their lead analyst for cloud computing, walked by, um, our booth and said, Hey, um, William. I very much know uh, what your company's doing and what you guys are doing. And I'm going to invite you to a research project um, We you want to follow um, and report on what your company's doing. And I attributed all of that to no. having that presence with the thought leaders out in the community um, and being engaged um, in, in a meaningful way.
0: Yeah. Great examples, William. And you've obviously been around cloud computing for some time. Are there other ways you've seen that evolve over the past decade? And are there any implications that uh, that has for software businesses?
1: Um, Well, sure. You know, um, the IT channel in particular. um, So um, managed service providers, resellers and bars, in particular managed service providers, um, I've worked for uh, two of them, and I'm working uh, today with a, a, a vendor that uh, supplies software to them. Um, MSPs are very much community-driven. And when we think about how they make their choices of which uh, vendors to build their services on top of, they're looking for a vendor that understands their world, understands their business model, understands their go-to-market models, understands their delivery models, their pricing models, their, you know, how they need to to price and, and margin. And they talk with each other. So the MSP in New Jersey is not competing with the MSP in, in Oregon. Um, they both have the same type of customers. They both have the same type of processes. They both have um, the same need for similar vendors. And that's where um, a community approach is so important. Um, the future of software sales is rapidly moving to um, marketplaces and the API economy is unlocking um, integrations and um, all sorts of new um, distribution models that are clearly the future of of software sales and distribution.
0: Yeah. So this is just constantly evolving and the successful organizations and the successful marketers are going to be the ones that really have their finger on that pulse and are able to adapt, right. And be able to pivot. Um, So are are there some other key trends that you think will be reshaping the it channel in the future? Yeah. So um, look,
1: it, it, Dan, it's always been about value. Right. Um, and being able to, to deliver that value in um, unique and innovative ways. Um, If we think about, uh, um, I I guess, what we're seeing with these marketplaces or even the SaaS management tools or the SaaS aggregators, um, today they're bringing those those tools together and adding some value on top. And it's basic value today. you know, having one place to go and, and uh, purchase uh, the software, one place to go and uh, get the software metered or provisioned um, or secured. But in the future, it's going to be about adding um, value on top of that. So um, enabling better process automation, enabling uh, data and the interchange of data between uh, SaaS applications. Um, this is this is something that you know is definitely in our future. It's coming closer. Um, the number of new SaaS management platforms that are uh, launching and starting to build MindShare is growing. Um, when we think about um, businesses today, 39% of businesses are 100% SaaS.
0: Oh wow!
1: Right. So 100% SaaS for 39% of businesses. Yeah, sure. It's a lot of micro businesses and small businesses. They don't need a server. They don't need a data center. Um, everything is done through SaaS. And um, that has a huge implication on the IT channel. Um, and you know, what does it mean for a managed service provider? Right? They're always managing infrastructure. And uh, you know, in the future, they're they're managing those apps and enabling a business to more efficiently. Um, purchase uh, SaaS applications, um, onboarding and offboarding of employees, securing those SaaS applications, and then doing those integrations between SaaS applications, and then maybe even layering a, a data layer on top and making that um, business um, more efficient,
0: right? Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So as we start winding down our conversation, William, do you have any other Final advice for business leaders that are seeking long-term and sustainable growth.
1: Yeah, I mean, encourage your teams to have a thirst for knowledge, right? Um, The most successful companies have very engaged employees, employees that are out in the community, employees that are very cognizant of not just the technology, but the use cases for the technology and not just themselves, but the whole ecosystem, you know, it, it's no longer, um, what is my competitor doing? It's more like, how are the products being integrated? How are the products being, um, used? What are the new business models and the new automation opportunities that are out there? Um, this is, this is what gets exciting. So it's all about your team and, um, you know, encouraging them to have that thirst for knowledge. And, you know, I think we're moving from, you know, maybe uh, individuals to um, that creator um, world where um, it's a collaborative
0: approach. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's an exciting new world. Yeah, I really like what you said there. It's engagement and a commitment to continuous learning. I think that, that would apply to all of us when we think about what's the opportunity to keep growing going forward. So William, thanks again for joining and sharing your extensive product marketing and technology experience. Uh, really appreciate the time today.
1: Great. Thank you so much, Dan. It was a great conversation.
0: And a reminder to please give us your feedback about the podcast. We want to continue to improve uh, and get better as we're delivering more episodes. You can do that easily by going out uh, on the various platforms. Uh, Apple podcast, one really easy way to do that. And as always, a reminder to make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.